in the hobby. It's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We hype ourselves up thinking that we could pull, I don't know, Hall of Famer. But with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com. The only repack that provides real value, a complete view of all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy slab packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. There is nothing more fun than opening an Arena Club slab pack. I mean, it is so much better than any mystery pack that I've ever purchased because there is a focus on transparency. There is a display of available cards. There are hit rates you can get. When you're graded, you're given a rationale. It is the marketplace for card collecting, buying, trading, selling, and displaying. Arena Club Slab Packs are revolutionizing the repack game with transparency. After your pulls are revealed, they'll immediately be placed in your vault for safekeeping or trading and selling. You can have them officially graded by Arena Club. The Arena Club grading process is accurate, fast, and transparent, with a full grade rationale provided and explanation of how your card was scored. Whether you're buying, selling, trading, or displaying, Arena Club is the card collecting platform you have to check out. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash badmoney. Wow, that's a crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack, that's $40 right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash badmoney for 10% off your first purchase. I love to track progress. As you guys know from listening to this show, I'm constantly tracking my progress. What have we done so far in 2024? And spring is in full bloom. Are your finances blooming too? With the Chime Secured Credit Builder Visa Credit Card, it's easy to start building credit with everyday purchases and regular on-time payments with no annual fees or interest. And if your credit scores grow, so could your opportunities for lower rates on loans like for a car or a home. You can use it everywhere Visa credit cards are accepted. That's right, you can build your credit using your own money. Get paid up to two days early with direct deposit. With a qualifying direct deposit, you can get access to your money sooner. Fee-free overdraft with SpotMe. Overdraft up to $200 without fees with SpotMe when you set up a qualified direct deposit. Just set up a qualifying direct deposit, sign up for SpotMe, and Chime will spot you up to your limit when you make a credit card purchase or cash withdrawal that exceeds your balance. Access 60,000 plus fee-free ATMs. That's more than the top three national banks combined. Easily find one near you with the Chime app. Send and receive money. Use Chime to pay anyone, Chime members or not, and cash out your money fee-free. With Chime's secure credit card, you can start improving your credit scores right away. Get started at Chime.com slash bad money. That's Chime.com slash bad money. Chime. Feels like progress. The Chime Credit Builder Visa Credit Card is issued by the Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. members FDIC. Spot me eligibility requirements and overdraft limits apply. Out-of-network ATM withdrawal and OTC advance fees may apply. Terms and conditions apply. Go to Chime.com slash disclosures for details. You got problems that you ought to be concerned with. Hoorah! You don't know how you're supposed to earn it or what to do with it or how to keep it. You're a freak with a dark, shameful secret. But you're not the only one. Get your hidden financial fears with a blast of sun. Now your healing has begun. It's bad with money with Gabby Dunn. Hello! I'm Gabby Dunn and welcome to Bad With Money, a show about finances and feelings where we don't talk down to you. This week on the show, we are doing the second of our breakdowns and takedowns episodes. On Wednesday, we did one with Claire Friedman, a TV writer and former Goldman Sachs employee, uh, rewatching The Big Short and talking about what it was like to be there during the 2008 mortgage crisis. Uh, it's a really, really interesting episode. Even if you haven't seen The Big Short, you can listen to it. If you feel like you want to understand more about the financial crisis in 2008 and the recession that we are still dealing with today, if you saw The Big Short and thought this explainer movie didn't explain anything, allow me and Claire to explain some more to you. These episodes are going to consist of me and an expert or friend going through a piece of money media, whether that's a podcast, a song, a movie, a TV show, a book, and recapping and reviewing it. Some of it will just be a breakdown and some of it will be a takedown and some of it will be breakdown and takedown. Upcoming episodes include the book Baby Steps Millionaires by Dave Ramsey, which I've actually had to stop and start multiple times for my own mental health. I'm also going to be reviewing Rich Dad, Poor Dad, 
We're going to be talking about the TV show Black Monday and the actual Wall Street crisis of the 1980s that I don't think gets talked about enough. So we're going to talk with journalist Cerise Castle all about the history of Black Monday and the way it's portrayed in the TV show Black Monday. We're also going to do an episode, I think, covering the ways that shopaholics are portrayed in TV and movies. Um, And I'm really excited about that one. Today, I have teased this episode so much because it literally made me lose my mind. Um, We have Chelsea Devontes of Celebrity Book Club, an amazing podcast where she reads celebrity books and uh, celebrity memoirs. And I was on her show today. Our episode part one came out on Celebrity Book Club of me and Chelsea going over the 2014 memoir of Nasty Gal founder Sophia Amoroso titled Hashtag Girl Boss. Uh, we've talked a lot about the girl boss phenomenon on Bad With Money. Um, and so in part one on her feed, Chelsea and I recap Girl Boss and our thoughts on... Um, Sophia Amoroso's memoir and every single part of it that makes me want to scream. And then we continue the conversation over here with even more of our thoughts and incredulousness about the contents of this book. So um, we read it so you don't have to. This conversation was so funny and so great. And I hope that you feel just so empowered afterwards. I mean, come on, babe. You have as many hours in the day as Beyonce. Loves it. Okay. Hello. Can you tell my audience who you are and what you do? Yes. I love this intro. (laughs) My name is Chelsea Devantes. I am a TV writer. I'm a comedian. I'm a filmmaker. Sometimes I'm in stuff. Um, I was Jon Stewart's head writer for season one. Then I left to go do television shows at 20th. Um, I've written on things like Girls 5 Eva. um, And I have a podcast called Celebrity Book Club with Chelsea Devantes, where we recap and celebrate female celebrity memoirs. Yes. And uh, the first half of this episode is on your feed, where we talked about the book uh, Hashtag Girl Boss by Sofia Amoroso. And um, now we're going to talk about it a little bit on my show for a part two. So... Yes, this- I'm super excited. <laughs> yeah, If you want a recap where Gabby yeah. and I are real mad at the book, but we cover it from front to back, mm-hmm. go check it out uh, on my feed. <laughs> So we haven't really done uh, a takedown of a, of a book really on uh, Bad With Money, but I was reading this for your show and I just was increasingly angry. Um, and so I was wondering, like, in in terms of this time period, what was your understanding of, like, feminism and capitalism at that time? Oh, such a good question. So we're at 2014. Teen? Is that what you mm-hmm. consider this time? Because that's when she wrote the book. I guess she was girl bossing before that, you know, sure. <laughs> for like five, five or six years. So 2014, we're two years from Hillary not being the president. I am a comedian performing on stage at the Second City Chicago. That's where I'm at in life. And I am making $100 a night plus some, a discount on chicken wings, not free, as my salary. <laughs> and at that point in time, I remember... Um, I remember making comedy, uh, about feminism where I was like, this is dangerous. Like, (laughs) is the audience going to boo me off? But I believe in myself, you know, and I was doing these jokes and I was still having male directors be like, no, this Mm -hmm. isn't funny. Your, you know, heavily aggressive feminist comedy has no place for the audience. And then Mm -hmm. being shocked that audience members really loved it. Uh, And so I was in this moment of like, wow, things are changing. And Christopher Hitchens had written Why Are Women Funny or or Women Aren't Funny for- Yeah, Women Aren't Funny. Oh my God. Yeah. And I was in this moment of like, it's just been so, it's also the moment of like Tina Fey and Amy Poehler and that Mm. like a real girl comedy moment. Anyways, so that was where I was at. And when things like hashtag me too started and time's up I was like wow like the economy is liking feminism again and the last Mm -hmm. time that happened was girl power spice girls even though neither of them are probably real feminism but I was like economically I can go buy a shirt at forever 21 that says feminist Mm -hmm. (laughs) like that's wild and so that's where I was at with it and I don't I, I don't think I thought beyond like 
I can't believe Forever 21 is selling feminist t-shirts. And then mm-hmm. also thought like, maybe it's good that it's trendy. Maybe maybe it's good that it's becoming normal. Yeah. I mean, wh- I keep thinking about like, if me at the time would have been interested in this book or this story. And mm. I think I think I did not have, I mean, I'm white. I think I did not have a concept of the the idea of white feminism. I didn't have a concept of, Um, I think a lot of it was sold at this time as like, make yourself uh, like a boss, make yourself higher up and then you can sort of come for the other people, you know, behind you. And that is like everyone you mentioned, right? Like Amy Poehler, Tina Fey, they're all uh, they're all white. It's all very like it was very a very specific time in media where like a lot of stuff wasn't really questioned the way it would be now. Yeah. Where it was like, yeah. I totally would have picked up this book. I mean, I will say like when Hillary Clinton chose I'm with her, I thought that's unfortunate. Like that's just a bummer, you know? And so I, I'm not sure, I'm not sure I was like, yeah, girl boss. But in terms of like women are allowed to be powerful. In fact, it can be popular and we're going to make TV shows about it. Granted. Yeah. They all were white. I was like, this is tight. We're progressing. Mm -hmm. White women always go first. (laughs) They do in the suffragette movement. They went first. Yeah. Um, And like that sucks. But here we are and culture is changing. And I can see me in some world picking this book up, though. I oh, I pray I was smart and aware enough to not have loved it. But guess we'll never know. Yeah, I mean, I always think about, like, it was the time period of those feminist shirts. It was the time period of, like, you have as many hours in the day as Beyonce. Like, it was this very hardcore uh, capitalist image of feminism, of of working hard, of, you know. Yeah, I think I, I think, I think I would have fallen for it maybe in a way because I was so ambitious and was so um there wasn't any you know in school they don't go oh here's your feminist education like here's the history oh, of, yeah. of you know uh, <laughs> any of it so you're like I just have to stand up to the boys I have to be with the boys especially in comedy especially in oh, entertainment yeah. you're like I have to like I it was like a big moment for me when I was like Oh, I my these jokes are not landing amongst other male male comedians when I was doing stand up. And I was like, oh, I don't want them to laugh like I don't want I don't actually want the uh, jokes to land with them. Why am I trying so hard to come up with jokes that will land with these people where I don't even want these people's opinion? (laughs) Like it was totally. Yeah, it was like a huge revelation. I was um, uh, I'm super into to femme stuff, you would call me high femme presenting. I love lipstick and stuff like that. That was a moment where like to present that way, but be a comedian was crazy. Crazy. You know I what know. I mean? They're like, what? You're a slut, but you're also going to be funny. And you're like, I'm a trailblazer. Yeah. Because you had to be like wearing a cardigan. Otherwise, yeah, forget it. Yeah. Oh, just an old gross sweatshirt. Forget Otherwise, it. you're not a real comedian. Did yeah. you ever own a feminist t-shirt like that? Something that said catchy like here we go. Yes, I did. I owned like the wild feminist t-shirt, but um, I was, I, I had the thousands, <laughs> <laughs> but I had the benefit of being like, I was like queer. So I had a lot of like queer t-shirts, which now yep. I'm like, we did an episode about corporate pride where I'm like, yeah. wow, you really went into forever 21 and got all the pride shit. You like went to like some website that probably uh, exploits its workers and got a shirt that was like, I'm gay. Like, yeah. go, like, uh, okay. So for going into girl boss, one thing that I want to talk about is, uh, and this is a spoiler, but uh, the book comes out in 2014 it gets re-upped in 2015 because she the nasty gal her company goes bankrupt and then they sell the company to boohoo and boohoo is a uh fast fashion company that you probably have seen on instagram uh everything is very cheap everything is very like cheaply made um and you can order it very quickly, uh, and it's probably made by exploited workers. And the big thing, and we've done an episode two of this show about fast fashion, 
And, you know, the thing that we talked about in your podcast was her going from freegan anarchist, socialist, however true that might be, we don't know, uh, to capitalist Republican. And then I would say, arguably, going now towards kind of like even more exploitative, anti-environmentalist, like there's no morality. Would you like, a, I mean, that's what I want to talk about with, with yeah. the boohoo stuff. Like it goes even further to as you gain more money, suddenly you're actively harmful. Yeah. Well, it's interesting too, because Nasty Gal was true vintage when it started, which right. is the opposite, you know, where, where, we're not doing fast fashion. Like we are reusing clothes and at some point, and it's not really talked about in the book. It's, it's like now we're just kind of selling just clothes in general because nasty gal sort of became her style concept. Um, it's interesting what you say about Boohoo, and maybe I, I know I'm wrong in this uh, in some way. I just don't know how. Um, Boohoo is interesting to me because Forever 21 had all this popularity, but Forever 21's clothing's clothing sizes were cut for uh, the stereotype of a white woman, and right. Boohoo's clothing fits the stereotype of women of color. So they had career clothing. They had women of color models predominantly like it was sort of like white women were at for 21 black women were at boohoo and for a long time white women didn't even know about boohoo um which sorry gabby i have to say because i would be wearing boohoo and people would be like what the fuck is this and i'd be like you don't know boohoo um and so uh it's interesting too because she doesn't own nasty gal anymore it's just mm -hmm. it's just not her company anymore and she gave it up to them and but I don't really see this as a transfer of she became actively bad because I just think she was always bad. <laughs> I think she was always bad. Yeah. I'm sure Nasty Gal was exactly Boohoo before Boohoo bought it. We just think of it as vintage because that's how it started. I think also there, there's so much complicated stuff around fast fashion. Like, you know, there is this argument to buy vintage or to buy secondhand um, which sometimes, you know, vintage can be expensive, whereas like secondhand can be cheaper. Um, and then people say, well, you know, anytime I, I make comments about fast fashion, people say, well, you know, I need five work skirts and these are going to cost me $5. So here yeah. I am like, and, and so it's hard to argue with that because people need certain clothes for certain things. They don't want to spend the money. Like I get it. It also is true that if you look into the labor practices, it is largely people of color, women of color making these things for pennies. Like that is also true. It's, I mean, the toughest thing about fast fashion is that when we're talking about like fast fashion is bad for the world, we are talking about the environment. But that aside, we're talking about uh, lower labor class. Practices. Yeah. And, and lower a lower labor class that is suffering. And mm -hmm. yet in order to not participate, you have to be of a higher class. So yeah. it's, in a way, it's classist, right? Because you're telling people who can't afford nice things that now you can afford a hot, cute dress for $16 that, you know, I'm thinking back to my town. It's like, you never had nice things. And Forever 21 was like, oh my God, you of could course. have something nice and cute and trendy for $16. And how could you tell people to not buy that? Mm -hmm. And like, it's this weird thing of like, it's, it fucks us all up, but certainly it has to start at like the companies and the government regulating those companies and right. not at the consumers. Right. Yeah, that's part of it. Um, and the government's never going to do that. No. <laughs> I'm assuming the people listening have either read the book or are never going to read the book. Um, and so that's kind of part of it. So I wanted to talk about some stuff that stood out to me about the book um, that we didn't really get to, which is... So like Chelsea said, there was um, an intro that was done in 2014. Then they redid the intro in 2015. Basically, she's talking about the layoffs. She's talking about the drama around the book, uh, around the book coming out and then the company immediately going bankrupt. And she writes, sometimes people want to drag you into the past. And also, everyone at the end of the day really needs to be led. <laughs> Some people want to drag you into the past, but doesn't it sound like, well, okay, well, then those people are leading you. They're just leading you in the other direction? What's, what's I that I feel quote? like, okay, those are two separate quotes. Okay, so I, I feel like this is the type of thing where she's like, I all of these things were bad and I was a bad boss, but I that's in the past. I've moved on. 
And like at the end of the day, and like I just I just keep thinking that this is a person who's a bad boss. Mm, mm. And unfortunately is known as a girl boss and has tied the two together. <laughs> yeah. What Okay. It's hard because there's so like there's so many things where that are contradictory that we were talking about, yeah. like the idea of don't idolize me, but also take my advice. Don't or... idolize me, but buy this book filled with my own advice and my journey. <laughs> don't idolize me, but I now started a teaching program to teach you how to be a girl boss. Don't idolize me, but I'll be your teacher and tell you everything. What do you What do you think about the the use the sprinkling of quirky details in the book? Hmm. Yeah. I loved your point that you had on the podcast of like, oh, she has to paint herself as the underdog and this is how she does it. I here, here's what I'll say about the quirky details. I'm livid because <laughs> because I there are certain women who around the year of 2014 accidentally found out that they could profit off of a feminist brand, even though they themselves <laughs> do not care about feminism. Right. And I'm talking, like, there's two famous comedians that come to mind. There's 1,000 commercial products. There's some film and TV movies where they would just play, like, God, there's this one movie. Uh, uh, there's this one movie that, that uh, like, Anne Hathaway is in and uh, Rebel Wilson, and it's a remake, and the starting music is um, Megan Trainor's I'm a badass woman. Oh, you can no. Blah, blah, blah. I'm a badass. And I was, I was just... It was this peak time where, like, can you imagine Top Gun Maverick just came out, right? Tom Cruise, whatever. We can't go into him, but he's back, right? Top Gun starts. We see a bunch of pilots, and the song is, I'm a badass boy. Boys can fly planes, too. You know, it's like, it's just so demeaning. It's so demeaning. And I don't like that there were as a group of people who sort of realized like, oh, I'll like cool girl could sell things. And then they ruined it for anyone else who are, is in that lane. Like I could probably be called a quirky girl. Yeah, I have bangs. I want my bangs <laughs> to stand for me. And instead they match Sophia's bangs on the cover <laughs> of hashtag girl boss. But they look good on my forehead. Like you ruined it for all of us. <laughs> I just, there were a few things that I I think come up when you're trying to sell yourself as relatable or you're trying to sell yourself as quirky and not like yeah. other girls, which is uh, a lot of stuff about poop and farting. Yeah. I smear poop on the wall in kindergarten. Uh, I have the Ren and Stimpy dolls that flatulate, that kind of thing. And then also the idea of like, I hang out with a lot of guys that's yeah. a thing that comes up that I hang out with my boyfriend. I hang out with my boyfriend and his friends. Um, and then also like um, sort of like mental illness as a quirkiness. So like <laughs> I'm diagnosed with ADD. I'm diagnosed with OCD. I'm diagnosed with like they think it's Tourette's like that kind of thing. Yeah. That is I think also kind of became like kind of like a sale, a selling point like where mental I feel like around this same time, like mental illness also became kind of like a thing that we could sell to people. Totally. And I, I mean, it kind of reminds me now of people will say pretty casually and often like, oh, my God, I have PTSD from blah, blah, blah. Mm. And it's like to speak on it so casually really kind of takes out uh, all the people who are suffering or, or what the real thing is and kind of gives this idea of like fucking every every quirk monster in your life has PTSD. Like, yeah, you're, you're, you're I could really see her being like, it. <laughs> I could see her. I mean, where she's saying like, I got OCD on the BLT, where she's talking about working at Subway. Uh, I could see that now at nowadays, it would be like, I have PTSD about the BLT. Like I yes, could see that yes. similar sort of quirky thing. Like, I think that's it makes just me like, <laughs> Really, really, really mad. And um, look, not to, uh, you know, at the beginning of her book, she's like, I have braces to be relatable. This, I'm not saying this to be relatable, but I do have CPTSD. And it's really, it's really shitty when you have to join the ranks of everyone who has BT, like, you know, uh, uh, subway PTSD and, and clothing PTSD. It's like, oh, all of you too? Because I just don't think you have to take meds like I do. And I don't want you, I just don't understand why you can make it 
a brand, but then ruin the brand. And like, you're right. Her, she has a lot of not like other girls quirks in here, which is interesting because she's really specifically only selling to girls, her clothing, right. her style, her feminist. And that's where it's like, then protect us. You know what I mean? Yeah. She's trying. It's this line of like trying to be relatable, but also trying to not be like other girls. And then it becomes an army of girls who are like, we're not like other girls. And then when they say we're not like other girls, they only look out for girls like each other. And then when that happens, they become all the bosses and the people that are left behind are the same sort of like low income uh you know, people who are maybe not cis, not able-bodied, not, you know, it's like this, this wake, as I said, like, you know, she's got this like, like just big ocean wave wake of people behind her that helped her that she just doesn't seem to have any kind of like awareness of or, or acknowledgement of. I mean, I had this boss who at every moment they could would cut down other women, whether it was verbally, whether it was someone was funnier than them. So they cut their lines, whether it was casting choices, whether it was their anyone, anyone they could, if it was a threatening woman, they made sure that um, they were set back and their favorite shirt to wear was, this is what a feminist looks like. Correct. And (laughs) that's what I, that's what I think of now. And like, I definitely, um, owned all of those shirts. I had a shirt that said, uh, it said, don't get raped, but then it was crossed out to just say, don't rape. Sure. I had, shirt, uh, I, I had very the female shirt. I had the mediocre white man shirt. I had all those shirts. And then I started seeing those shirts on women who hurt other women. I was like, well, now you ruined the t-shirt. <laughs> like, yeah. And it's tough too. Cause then they, then they blur the lines. Like what Sophia did, I think also, pours into the concept of like to be a feminist you have to like all women you have to like Mm -hmm. all people or or you're anti-feminist like they just kind of blurred the definitions of everything where Mm -hmm. it's like that's not what makes you a feminist or not not Mm -hmm. like not liking women is always allowed in feminism actively (laughs) actively uh making sure no one succeeds but you well not so much (laughs) Yeah, I, uh, no, that's really well put. And I think, like, um, I I also, this is just on one page she talks about, in terms of mental illness, I just want to say that uh, the amount of times that quirky, not like other girls, girls <laughs> compare themselves to Larry David <laughs> is too many times. They love yes. to say that they are, I'm basically Larry David. I'm a young Larry David. They, why? <laughs> which which I will say this too, like Larry David, you know, behind Seinfeld was the, the writer on it. And though Jerry Seinfeld was also part of that. That's a very Larry David show. You never hear girls being like, I'm a lot like Jerry Seinfeld. Exactly. <laughs> you know? Exactly. Um, but on the flip side, I will say this. Um, that's not even today allowed in a woman or someone femme presenting to walk around and be like, oh, I hate this. You're <laughs> stupid. I'm bad. I'm not going to, like, they would never, you'd be like, well, you're fired. But Larry David, now he could get away with it for years. <laughs> I also want to discuss the use of crust punk. Because the use of what? Crust punk. Yes. <laughs> so she describes herself as a crust punk. And she says, at 17, I chose hairy legs over high heels and had a hygiene regimen that could be best described as crust punk. Crust punk is like a very specific type of like, it's all, it's, it's a lot of them are unhoused. It's a lot of people who have been sort of like kicked out of their homes of origin. Like, you know, there's an element to it that, um, is I it bumped for me like it made me kind of sad. <laughs> yeah. Well, and here's here's a more interesting, not more. Here's a Sophia aside because I think what she put in the book about that is bad. But a lar- here's a larger question I have for you because I've been thinking about this too. So, like uh, the drag community, right? Mm-hmm. Really born out of specifically black men and trans women being outcast from society and having nothing and making beauty and art out of that. 
And now as drag grows in culture, it, which is drag is just one of my favorite art forms. It's it's so incredible to see it mm-hmm. having success. And this thing that we've othered and was really looked down on is now becoming like mainstream and amazing. But how much was that suffering and making something out of nothing built into the art form of drag? And when it comes in and now we're having mm-hmm. designers you, or you have to be rich to go on the show or you have mm-hmm. to have all the, these free costumes you know, how does, how do those things go together? And it's, it's, it's the same with the forever 21 feminist shirts. It's like, at what point is this actually positive for culture where we are on mass market shifting Mm -hmm. the, the hetero norm in a positive way? And at what point are we (laughs) fucking up something that was incredibly cool? It's hard because I like having reverence for things, you know, that in the past that maybe don't, um, translate like it's very interesting like when she says hairy legs right where like that used to be quite a thing now you know like somebody on i don't want to get even get started on who but somebody on tiktok was like arguing back and was like well i have hairy underarms and this is like this this person that i think has in some ways was like a really big deal for some people at the time with their work and then like someone was like we're gen z we all don't shave like you're stupid (laughs) um and like Then to me, I'm like, well, I think that is because of these people who were doing it before. But I also am like, it's just these details that are put in the book to make her seem unpalatable that are then largely palatable for white women. And also she's she wouldn't then walk into nasty gal without tights on or something or she totally she like would she's shave her legs her or you now. know what i mean yeah i think like that's it's... what's most frustrating about this book is that she holds these values and she's like i lived in dumpsters and i was hairy and right. i worked at subway and a bookstore and then the moment they're like but you don't have to she's like awesome i'd love to not right um and then but she holds them both up as like her personal values when really it was just a phase and I think anyone can be mad at the person dabbling in the phase for attention, which she built into her backstory. You know what this is? Okay, I know. I just feel like I, we're not best friends, but I feel like you don't watch The Bachelor. Am I right? On I that? no, I I you have. Do. I okay. do. Okay, this is what this is to me. When there's a contestant and she's gonna go pretty far, like she's gonna be one of the wifeys, right? And they're like. You listen, hey, we're gonna do a producer session. You gotta be likable. You gotta give us something. We need a backstory. And she's Catherine being like, one time at camp, I saw a tree fall on a girl, <laughs> and I've just never been the same. Or she's like, one time a dog came at me. Now I had a dog phobia. And they're like, you know what? This is, yeah, we gotta go with it. This is all this girl has given us. And Sophia's like, what do I have? What do I have? Uh, I liked punk for a second. Didn't shave my legs once. And yeah, I think that there is a problem with women, successful women writing books where you can't just tell your story. You have yeah. to first take a hundred pages justifying your existence. Why are you here? What have you suffered through? What what has what bad has happened to you? Yeah. And even if you say, well, I grew up very rich and my parents were very loving, something had to happen. Like, well, you- you'd be surprised. <laughs> There's some episodes of Celebrity Book Club I could recommend to you where they're like, life was pretty good. And you're like, really? Wow. <laughs> yeah, there's a few of them. Yeah. Um, but oh, well, here's my question for you, though, because. You're right. Women's vulnerability is commodified in a way men's is not. And even like little podcast tie in for both of us, like women's memoirs don't sell unless you spill when you spill the blood. Whereas like Matthew McConaughey can be like, I love drums and weed. Here's a poem. (laughs) Goodbye. Like and they're like, we'll sell that book. So and that the same time, the reason why I mostly concentrate on women's memoirs is because they're the better ones, because they do get real and deep and vulnerable and gush blood because that's what's required of them. And that makes Mm -hmm. them the better books. And yet. She, Sophia couldn't just be like, listen, I was a piece of shit and I got a company. Yeah. Or even she she does say she was a piece of shit, but she doesn't. Yeah. She doesn't. But not in the real way. Not yeah. in the real way of like, I just was a fucking loser. I used and I my mom clothes. and my boyfriend and I had all this help and I didn't and pay I was people. Possibly scamming eBay when no one else was. And so, it okay. made me better. Okay. So, 
one thing is, is that she doesn't pay people. That's a huge thing. She doesn't pay people. And I don't want to say like when you're starting out, you have to pay people. But when my partner and I were doing our YouTube stuff, my business partner and I were starting out on our YouTube stuff, we had no money and we would give people 50 bucks. Like we would always try to pay people because they were giving us their art, their work, their expertise. Mm -hmm. I understand that you can't always do that, but like I, there's something about the amount of like how much she goes into. I paid them with hamburgers. I didn't pay them. I did like how much she talks about how she got so so many things for free. And she talks about like free marketing and like all of that is like business advice but on whose back? Right, right. I mean, you're you. It's so funny too because I'm sure those were the business practices that year for everyone always before and a lot of times now. This always kind of where they go to like yeah intern behavior and like why. Oh, God, interns too. Like you have to have rich parents in order to be, or you have to have some sort of when they didn't in pay interns. Yeah, interns. yeah. So she's not doing something that other people aren't doing. That being said, she's like now kind of putting it in a book as like the thing Mm -hmm. to do. And man, it's really tough. I think I would feel differently if there was a part of the book that said, as soon as we moved into our first warehouse, I was able to pay like fair wages and Uh, exactly because give healthcare. Yeah. I do know like, for a fact, because I've seen the studies, although uh, let's get her fact checker, her book fact checker on this. Um, when you offer people health care or paid leave and maternity leave, your company uh, only goes up. Like your, uh, it's not like, oh, you lose all this money. It's definitely a place where you can cut costs, but like uh, businesses are just so profitable when they right. take care of their employees. But the, that section is just not in the book. If that She talks, a, exactly. She talks about, uh, selling these chairs, we talk about on your on your episode. Selling these chairs that were too expensive, and she made a, a office manager do it. But you're right. You're you're. Uh, this is hitting me as you say it. There isn't the chapter about we moved into a warehouse and I created fairer conditions. We moved into a bigger office and I gave everyone health care. There's none of that. No, no. And I will say, I've I read a couple of recent interviews with her, and she said. She does admit to having like very boomer behavior, even though she was a 30 year old woman at the time when she was doing these decisions and saying now she cited things like I have work at home Fridays or and and paying you and you have time off and all these things that she does now. It's just so unfortunate to have profited off of the wrong advice. (laughs) Like the advice in the book that made a bunch of money is the stuff that says pay people in hamburgers. Can you talk about the eBay stuff? So there's yes. this eBay drama that happens um, and she talks about it being a catty environment. But like, yeah, can you talk about what happened with her and eBay and why she is not the victim? <laughs> yeah. So, wow, I would love to because we didn't cover this at all. And I went on yeah, a deep we need- dive trying to find it. So she's an eBay seller and there's a little community of vintage eBay resellers. She even says in the book they had names like like stream lady and cottage farm and she was coming in being like nasty gal and it kind of set her apart and that all these sellers begin to know each other and it's clear she went through high key drama in this time because there's the parts that are mentioned I'm like oh you must not even be scratching the surface one of the things she goes through is that she sells a purple dress online that is categorically not vintage it's I guess it's from like 1980s it's more of a costume piece I do see people selling stuff like that now mm-hmm. in vintage markets, but maybe in that year it was just like not what was happening. And uh, and I think what's in question too is that there were like five of them. And like five of these dresses, it wasn't one. And so she sells this dress to a fellow eBay reseller and the price gets, like the auction for it is like super high and high bidding and then this reseller gets it. She's accused of working in cahoots with this person to up the price and not selling real vintage. And then a fashion writer, Susie Bubble, writes about Nasty Gal as this kind of unknown eBay store where you can get great fashion and it's a positive profile. But in the comments, eBay is livid. All these resellers come to be like, this is a scam artist. This is trash. It's not vintage. She jacks up her prices. She doesn't play by these vintage rules. And then to the point where Sophia feels compelled to put in her book that this happened. And from Sophia's point of view, she's like, I was successful. I broke some of the rules. 
you're all haters. And when I tried to find the post, it's gone. And when I find the little, the little tiny, um, saved photos online and Reddit postings that talk about it, it does sound like she did break the rules and do things that other eBay sellers didn't do. But I weirdly found myself being a little on her side, Gabby. (laughs) Why? Because, and go with me on this. In Mariah Carey's memoir, when she starts to get successful, a bunch of people come and sue her and some bodyguards like, actually, I wrote Hero on a poem in my pocket and you stole it. In Dolly Parton's memoir, as she gets successful, uh, there's a group that's like, actually, we wrote um, I Will Always Love You and you stole it. And over and over in these specifically female memoirs, the moment when they start to get successful, a thousand people come with knives to Mm -hmm. end it. And... A part of me was wondering if Sophia like did find a bunch of scammy hacks on eBay to win and people were really mad about it. Mm-hmm. But I'm not sure that deserves like, I don't know. I don't know. That's where mm-hmm. I landed. Where did you land with it? I feel like every story she tells is a, a little bit about her being scummy. She gives you enough that you buy it. But then a little bit more about how she was right and these other people were stupid. And (laughs) it it really comes down to the language that she uses to describe them. And we talk about this a lot on Bad With Money in that the language matters. Like, there are so many people in money media who will call you stupid. There are so many people in money media who will say, this is a mistake. Or even, like, I was writing something. These people were were giving me um, stuff to put on Instagram. And they said... Doing X, Y, and Z doesn't make you financially or does make you financially smart. And I was like, I don't want to say financially smart because it implies that there is something called financially dumb. And I don't okay, want to. Okay, but I do think I'm financially dumb. That's how I self-identify. So you're is that not, not a thing? You're not. I didn't want to say it. Like, so I was like, why don't you say good good with money? You know, like rather than implying intelligence. And so I think a lot of what she does in this book is she, you know, she calls them forum trolls. She she says, you know, a lot of stuff about them being jealous and about them like they were being lazy and they were having cat fights, which is inherently gendered. Yeah. yeah. And like these things that I'm like, 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 I would believe your side and I would understand why this, why you just did this very good business thing and whatever, if you didn't, again, trample people to get there. Yeah, yeah. Here's the thing. On a lot of her stories, I fully agree with you um, about everything you just said. In this one particular story, <laughs> I think <laughs> I, I it's tough, too, because she calls them forum trolls, right? But then you're online a lot. Yeah. There's some monsters online. Of course. Who will truly impact your psyche possibly forever. Yeah. And, you know, will will live there. And, of course. And if she really was killing it and they were mad about it and we're all women because of the patriarchy only allowing women to exist in these certain subsects. And because only Mm -hmm. one woman can succeed creating the term cat fighting that she's now using like, yeah, uh, maybe that did happen. Another part of me just thinks that even her roots were damaged because her success is damaged. So that's where I'm like, Oh, I'm probably on these eBay sellers side because she wasn't a good, she She didn't end up being a good person. Yeah. She didn't end up being a good person. She wasn't like, Oh, misunderstanding. I'm a great person. It kind of seems like she has a through line of, uh, always scamming a little. And I don't mind scamming, but scam, but who are you scamming? Are you scamming the rich people or are you scamming but, other women who are just trying to work in your field? But, but here, but here's my, here's my question with that. So if she listed this purple costume dress, right. And it wasn't listed as vintage, but it is on her vintage site, right. Mm-hmm. She is selling it. And uh, she holds auctions where uh, where a bunch of people want the same piece of dress. I'm, I'm now I can't even remember all the details because I yeah it's yeah all a yeah they want but she she <laughs> drives up the auction on this dress and a fellow reseller gets it and then four other people get the same dress because they wanted it so badly and she had five. Who is she scamming? Because I'm not sure she's scamming anyone in that situation except for the unspoken vintage rules of eBay in 2014. Yeah. Okay. Oh, okay. I'm I'm listening. 
Yeah, but listen, her models who she pays in hamburgers, she's scamming them. Yeah, like... <laughs> but I, I don't know about the dress. But it's this thing where it's like, I did all of these things that were um, breaking the rules. But then if you come to my company, do not break the rules. Yes, that's the shitty part about her. Because I will say, Molly Shannon's memoir has a whole section about this scam she ran called The Mammoth Scam. And it's how she helps her pay the bills and become an actor. And she writes like, I think more women and people in Hollywood need to do this so that they can succeed because the rules were not made for us. You know, yeah. they're made for someone else. And that goes for anyone who's considered an other in this society. The rules weren't made for us. So you don't always have to play by them. I think I'm quoting RuPaul now. But um, <laughs> but so a part of me is like, yeah, she broke the rules and becomes this businesswoman because she broke these like eBay rules. Now, am I mad because I probably wouldn't do it? Uh, yeah, I'm pissed. I want to be the girl boss queen. <laughs> but um. But I just, I don't know if that was her worst crime. I think her crimes are elsewhere. Yeah. And they're um, there. They're just in other chapters. Yeah. Only Susie Bubble can tell us the truth. <laughs> so this is also a prime time in the world for bosses who want to give you things that aren't money. Yeah. And I just wanted to read um, part where she says that she was running her own company and uh, she says that when they hit their first $100,000 day, I decided to celebrate. I rented a giant horse-shaped bounce house and had it blown up in the warehouse. Send a few emails, bounce, bounce, bounce. Ship a few orders, bounce, bounce, bounce. It was pretty much the best day ever. And I wrote, who wants this? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, you know, at this, ex I know where I was in this year. Oh, it just came to me. I was working at a very popular coupon company mm -hmm. where every hour you had to get up and dance like a zombie. And I was like, this is hell. This is fucking punishment. And they were like, we're a we're not a workplace. We're a cool place. You're going to be a zombie. Mm -hmm. And then every hour you would just stand up and dance around. I was like, this is so demeaning. And like, it's demeaning. Yeah, it's the free kombucha at WeWork. A hundred percent. Where it's like, we don't want kombucha. We right. want fair pay. Yes. I also, again, want to note, like, there's, you know, so many people in her wake that she then says, I did this myself. I did all this myself. On the next page, she says she crashed on her friend Kate's couch while looking for a new warehouse space. You can't write a book being like, I did everything myself and then pepper in these little people that helped you. That's you mean like Kate in the couch. Like Kate. Well, this is the thing. And this is the problem with girl boss capitalism and this is the problem with this this type of feminism is that is that you sell these books and you sell a narrative to people, marginalized people saying you can make your own business. You can do your own multi-million dollar yeah. business by yourself. And yes. anyone who is against you is a hater. Well, it's, I bet too, now that I'm thinking about it, it, you know, there's people who didn't crash on Kate's couch because their mom and dad bought them a condo. A hundred percent. Or they, their business is at their mom and dad's. And I, so I think she probably has this narrative of like, see, I, I did it by myself. It hard. Yeah. Yeah. You know, while we're on this, there's another thing I have to read because this is exactly what you're talking about. She actually wrote, she said, so here's my Craigslist personals ad to Nasty Gal. Creative millennial who is a Jill of all trades, but master of none, seeks established company with hundreds of employees to help her experience a sense of play in her work. And <laughs> everything that is wrong with girl bossing is in that hypothetical ad. This is for people that would work for her? This is hers, like, this is for her. Her to she get said, hired by Nasty Gal. Yeah, she said, like, uh, I'm currently trying to find a sense of play in Nasty Gal, the margins of the business in which I can innovate and try new things. So here's my Craigslist personals ad to Nasty okay. Gal. Okay, okay. And, but this is also caked within. She hasn't spelled it out, but she's basically saying, I ran the company in the ground. It's bankrupt. I'm about to sell it. I'm redefining success as having a sense of play. And you're like, well, that's nice. <laughs> I still define but it as pain. While, but while you were doing that, ma'am, people were being fired under you. Yeah. 
Yeah, you, she people mentions lost the layoffs. Their jobs. People lost yeah. their jobs. You just say and about those layoffs. People lost their jobs. Like those layoffs. You say and about those layoffs. That little part of a sentence and in that is someone who had to go home and be like I don't have a job to my kids yeah and in that is like those are real people and I think those people don't get book deals that's very true and also there's foreshadowing in this book where she says when they grow they when they expand they hire a bunch of experts on and then she says though eventually I stopped listening to them because they had no expertise in a company that was growing as fast as mine and so you're sort of like, oh, girl bossing, it's so tough. Because sometimes this this does apply. Girl I bossing know. is not listening to those who came before you because they don't know what the fuck they're talking about because they're stuck in their old ass ways. But then two years later, they're like, uh, your company grew too fast. You're bankrupt. Yeah. Uh, a bunch of people lost their jobs. And then you go back to that expert column in the book. So I wanted to read... This is also like an omen. Um, As a teenager and into my early 20s, I thought that I would never embrace capitalism, much much less be a public champion for it. I was certain that I'd live my years out trying to make a career as a photographer, getting by by holding jobs because I had to, not because I wanted to. I'm not that cynical anymore. I've learned that it's typically the larger companies out there that provide the template for employees to chart a path for themselves and continue to develop in their respective fields as well as in their management skills. She she equates cynicism with socialism. Correct. And that's where you lose me. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. She becomes she becomes a Republican so fast in the book. <laughs> it's fucking whiplash. You're like, whoa, like I didn't I thought it took time to change your political party. <laughs> but like one paycheck above ten dollars. And she's like, you fucking hippies got to get out of here. Well, here's the thing, because then later on that same page, she says that um All of this sort of philosophical stuff that she talks about is integral to having a positive company culture. And what we later learn is that positive company culture means don't ask for more, don't question, don't try to get, you know, unionize, don't try to do things that could potentially like cost the company money, but make your lives materially better. Like the word pot, the word cynical being tied to anti-capitalism and the world and the word positive being attributed to company culture is at the heart of what's wrong with this book (laughs) yeah yeah that is such a great analysis wait so i have a question for you because this has actually been on this is on my mind all the time sure so to get the success i've had in life i have had to hustle as a sophia says link uh, Abraham Lincoln said in her book, he didn't say that, but she says he did. I have, I did have to hustle. I did, I did do a lot of stuff for free and I did do a lot of like really painstaking stuff. Anytime I meet someone who was never an assistant and never had to do stuff like that, they're usually the worst person I've ever worked with, or I'm usually working for them, honestly. Yeah. And I'll be like, oh, you never had to do the, you never had to make the coffee in the break room. You never had to sort the mail, which is why you're acting like this and treating us less than. Mm-hmm. And it's just this weird line between we need to have better company culture, but also but but also in what world do we create more girl bosses who are narcissists who think they don't have to work for anything like all the book writes about? I know, which is why I kind of, which is why I kind of don't buy a lot of what she's talking about. Yeah. <laughs> I just don't buy it. If you've truly... Maybe not. I don't know. I got to think that if you have truly been in poverty or been like unhoused or whatever, like if you've needed to dumpster dive for a bagel, I have to delusionally live in a world where then when you start a company, you prioritize people's like well-being, well-being. Like I have to delusionally think that that's true. So maybe that's why I keep being like, this can't be real. Yeah. Oh, I think that's, well, you know, and you know what? You said this on my episode. And now I feel like we've really cracked the heart of this, which is that, which is because you're like, I don't believe any of it. She did all those things for fun. She didn't do them out of necessity. Exactly. Because I I have been in times in my life where we really did things out of necessity. There are other times when we didn't have to do things like that. And 
the difference always being is that anytime someone says money can't buy you happiness, they've never Liar. been poor. Liar. Because <laughs> it absolutely can. Yeah. <laughs> it absolutely buys all the ease and opportunity in life. And they're all pieces of shit trying to keep you from having money. So with her, she was just dabbling in it for fun. And so it, she could always go home. She could always not be on the couch. She could always not eat the free bagels because they were a fun phase for her, which is why she never thinks that it's that she always thinks people have options. She's never yeah. known what it's like to not have options. Or be, or to be like, I'm fired from my job uh, and I can't get another job. Yeah. Or like, you know, I, and it's hard because I believe in the scamming and I believe in like getting ahead and stuff like that. But I just, you know, it's made me think about the dad from Succession where they show that he was clearly abused. And yeah. then he grows up to be an abuser. And so to me, I'm like, well, maybe, the, you know, you grow in this way where you become so you you finally get money. And so you become so afraid of not having money that you just like check out from humanity, maybe. Yeah, Abs- I mean, absolutely. This is <laughs> another trash tie in on the current season of Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. Um, there is a new character who's extremely rich and she grew up a uh, refugee, like poverty mm. beyond poverty. And now she is the rudest, cruelest, money hoarding woman who ever lived. And you do have right. to wonder, like, how how did none of that stay with you? How did none of that suffering fear? Yeah, because we've built a capitalist society that equates um, that makes not having money terrifying. And so we've built a society where instead of reaching out to help each other, it benefits you to rise up and then just completely jettison everybody behind you. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think it's I think it's a really hard place to be in. Like, yeah, now, like, uh, now I like I have money. Like, I actually have money. You know, whether it's like, oh, you have you spend thousands of dollars at a, on a charity, right? And like mm-hmm. large sums of money, and then you're like, where is it going? Who is it helping? Is it to the people? And it's like, what do you do? I don't know. It's just this weird thing where you yeah. have to when you when you have when you have all the ways to give back while still growing on your own. And I wish someone would clearly delineate exactly how to do that and not how to be a fucking girl boss. It's not this book. It's not this book. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I want to also talk about the Porsche because I feel like this is the stuff that the people want. Uh, yeah. So she's, okay. Cruising down Sunset Boulevard with the cramps blasting, which again, not like other girls, I like punk bands. Blasting. I don't and- know who the cramps are. <laughs> And well, you're not a cool girl and you're not a girl. I'm not a cool girl. I'm a loser. Um, And palm trees silhouetted by the neon signs of strip clubs can sometimes repair the worst of my moods. Again, it's this thing of like the other other people are like, I know this is whatever, but like other people are tertiary characters. Sex workers are tertiary characters. Anyway, when when I went to buy the Porsche, I was ready to splurge. But me being me, I wanted to again put half down. The dealership, however, put a kink in my well-laid plans for a financially responsible splurge. They wouldn't give me a loan or a lease. Who would have guessed that Porsche had stingier financing than Nissan? As it turned out, even though I was now running my own company and had enough money to put down a hefty deposit, my credit was still only mediocre. It was a WTF moment that drove home to me how screwy the credit system is. I was reminded again that the common way is not always the best way. Therefore, I paid cash for that Porsche. A girl boss gotta do what a girl boss gotta do. Um, and then you it's mentioned so close. It's so close to understanding our financial system is broken. And then that Porsche takes a hard right turn in the last two sentences. Exactly. And you mentioned, can you bring up, you mentioned again, that talking to the um, assistant about the Porsche. So what happened there? Yeah. Okay. So she's out to dinner with an assistant or someone who works for her. And she's talking about, oh my God, I feel like such a cornball driving this Porsche around. It's so like anti my, um, anti like who I am. And I just like feel like such a weirdo. And the assistant or person who works for her responds like, yeah, we've all been joking at the company that we just feel like we're paying off your Porsche every time we come to work. And then her advice is like, I realized basically not to talk about money and not to open up about my personal life to people who work for me, which, it, okay, so I want, I want to hear your take on this because I, I, I have so much to say. <laughs> um, 
This is similar to when she first talks about the Porsche, where she's like, credit's pretty fucked up, huh? And then we never hear about it again, even (laughs) though there's a long history of credit being incredibly racist. And this is the, the, it's like the right story, wrong takeaway. It's like this thing where she... And you're right. I wish there, and maybe it's my own book, not to toot my own horn, but I wish there was a book that (laughs) was like the right takeaway to that situation. Yeah. Yeah. Well, okay. Here's my, here's my complicated, I think probably wrong take. And I need you to correct it on this podcast, but also publish it in your book so I can reread it later. So I have definitely been in, uh, in places where a boss has come in with something very unrelatable. So they'll be like, oh my God, the Hamptons house we wanted. <laughs> was booked. Yeah. And, and we can't go to the Hamptons this weekend. It's just been really stressful. And you're like, kill yourself. How dare you, right? <laughs> okay. Now, flash forward to me now. Living my girl boss life. I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. But, uh, but you know, I've, I've grown a lot in my career, right? And I was telling a story because I, I didn't, I did, I grew up with a lot of money feared. Money was just always the worst thing in our lives. And so now that I can pay for my groceries, groceries and pay for things, but I still have this brain of like, um, the world's going to end tomorrow, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm telling this story about how, um, my fiance was like, please, for the love of God, can you hire a cleaning person to come? This is destroying our relationship (laughs) because we work a lot of, lot of hours and I'm very, very messy. And my very first job at 11 was being a cleaning woman. Mm -hmm. And so I am always like, no, no, even though that's providing like a gig and a job and like, I'm going to pay, uh, you know, a lot better than probably a lot other people's, even though I was, but I was so uncomfortable with it. Anyways, I'm telling this story to a room full of people who are probably like, fuck you, bitch. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, because there was a time in my life when uh, that's, I, it, I can't even believe I'm saying these words. Right. I never even thought that'd be something that would be my little problem of the day. And so when I read this, I thought to myself, that is good advice. Shut the fuck up about your Porsche. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to hear about the house in the Hamptons. I should shut up about my, my stupid insecurity about Absolutely. Like, me hiring someone. And I did think it was good advice. And I thought of myself. Because I'm a girl boss. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's good advice, but I it, it's good advice if this book was for other bosses. Like if it but was for, it? but it's, it's, for, if be, it's, it's it's for other girl bosses. It's like, hey, girl, uh, come but, it's, but who is it for? People who have already reached that level, or is it for people? She she you can't like. Is it for the person? The assistant is kind of who should be buying this. It's aspirational. Yeah, but then she's telling the assistant when, when you you're a girl get boss to me. and you buy your Porsche with full cash because the credit system is fucked. Don't talk about it. I mean, I don't know. It wasn't great, but it did remind me of all the times I had to listen to bosses talk about things where I thought right. to myself, like, you're not even aware that that's not an option for anyone in this room. Like, you don't even realize it. That's true. And it made me think she was helping other pieces of shit out. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. We talked a bit about uh, this on your show, but um, hiring and firing where there's a quote that I underlined that says, because I don't care what a job will do for you and your personal development. I want to know what you can do for me, which is technically good advice, but also ones that she didn't follow. Yeah, at all. That's, I I think this is like where we're at with the book, which is that one, it's all over the place. It's a mess. There's really no true definition of girl boss other than like, uh, I don't know, dress like her. And then you're like, there's no definition of it. Had she had any follow through through lines or it made any logical sense. I feel like we could look at that advice and yet she, it, she just doesn't. And it's, but it's funny. two, Two pages later, she says, Be upfront about what you want. Employment is a two-way agreement, so let's be adults. I said, okay, so be upfront, but also don't admit that you want to personally develop your skills. Yeah, or that you think this Or that one day you hope to own your own company. Yeah, it's interesting, too, because if I was going to hire a writer, and in the interview they said to me, like, I really hope to run my own show one day and it's going to be about this, I would be like, that's awesome. That's who I want to hire. And she seems to be like... 
no, I have a company. You fold the shirts. (laughs) (laughs) And don't ever dream of having your own company, but do, so buy my book. But don't work for me, but do. But also don't be a competitor and get your own ideas. Oh my God, remember that part in the book where she's talking to what she thinks is a fellow girl boss and sharing um, how she's going to build out her website. And then a couple months later, this fellow girl boss launches her website and somehow it's extremely similar similar to the Nasty Gal website. And she writes her an email and is like, get your own ideas, whore. Yep. (laughs) And they're never friends again. And you are like... But I'm pretty sure sharing information is like the cornerstone of feminism. And that's it. And that's it. Sharing. And and yeah. and it's not it's gimme 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 and I don't want to share. Thank you for having shared with me though. And that's yeah. the fucking problem. And I think we cracked it. <laughs> <laughs> thank I you. think we cracked my girl bossing is bad. Thank you so much for being my guest. Where can people find you and more about you? Okay, you can listen to my podcast, Celebrity Book Club with Chelsea Devantes. Look for my name in the title. Um, it's, you know, it's everywhere. I'm also on Instagram at Chelsea Devantes. I recap the books in my Instagram stories before we go and talk about them on the podcast. So you can find me in those two places. And you can find me on Twitter, but it'll be a lot more political <laughs> on there. So maybe look for me on Instagram first. Thank you. Thank you so much. Done.